Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be two passages, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, that we have been reading so far in the sermon series, as well as James 2, verses 14 to 26. You can follow along on your uh, little insert in your worship folder. I think it should be on the screen behind me as well, or on uh, your screen if you're live streaming. So starting in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Going to James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, your, do you, want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. My name is Brandon Lutz. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer City Church. Thank you for being here. Thank you for those who are watching through the live stream. We know we're going through a very strange time, as Jonathan mentioned. We're very grateful that you've chosen to be with us either virtually or here in person. We're nearing the end of our sermon series titled Character in Crisis. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit by di diving into the book of James on how we can possess the fruit of the Spirit and be a people of godly character in such a time as this. So this morning, as you can see in your worship folder as well as in the text, we're going to unpack the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. We have the privilege of taking a deep look at one of the most highly debated and controversial passages of Scripture. So as we read this passage, your heart probably already started throwing up warning flags. So as we come to this passage, my prayer for all of us, including me, is that we would remove the bumpers to our hearts. Every single one of us in this room, listening at home or from afar, has a story. And your story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, entices you to respond to this very passage in a few very specific ways. Some of us are thinking, now wait a minute. Wait a minute, Brandon. One of the five solas is solus fide. It's Latin for faith alone. This is one of the main points of the Reformation. You're thinking this passage goes against everything that Paul writes about in the book of Romans. We are justified by faith alone. My hope for this person this morning, if this is your bent, is that you will see that James doesn't disagree with this. James is merely expanding on what your faith in Jesus Christ will produce what your faith in Christ will just naturally yield and come out of you. Some of us are thinking, all right, I got my pen, I got my paper, give me the list of things that I need to do. 
and, and I, can, I can get this checklist done. Do I have to give food to the hungry? I can do that. Do I have to give money to the poor? I can do that. Do I have to be willing to give up my one and only son? Do I have to risk my life for the sake of another? Let me, let me know what I need to do and I will start working on this checklist. My hope for this person this morning is that you will see that James isn't giving us a checklist. James is not giving us a checklist or even introducing the concept of a checklist in order to be saved. The things we do or even the things that we don't do give evidence to what our faith is in. Our life is a reflection of what our faith is in. The danger for many of us, including myself, is that we, we put our faith in Christ plus something else. Some of us don't even realize it because that something else could be a very good thing. And when we do this, it means we're actually lacking in faithfulness. It might even mean, it might even mean that our faith is in something other than Jesus Christ. It's just wearing a mask of Jesus. Our lives have been disrupted in 2020, have they not? How many is 2020 going exactly how you wished it would? All right, good, no hands. All right. During all the disruptions of COVID, which means school gets turned upside down, summer plans, vacations got turned upside down, summer camps got turned upside down, our jobs and the economy got turned upside down. In all these things, our faithfulness or faithlessness is being revealed. During these disruptions of politics and the election, racial unrest, our faithfulness is being revealed. In our relationships, our day-to-day -day, or even your relationships that aren't day-to-day, -day, our faithfulness is being revealed. In our lives, our faith is being revealed. It doesn't take long for us to see that we are an unfaithful people. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we lust, we dishonor, and this is what we do to those who we are, we are closest to. This is how we treat the people that we love. Faithfulness is not an expected char characteristic for us. Faithfulness seems to be more of a dream than a reality. So what James is writing to the early church and what he is writing to us is this. Faith alone saves. He agrees with Paul in Romans. Faith alone saves. And our faith cannot help itself but produce good works. The works do not save us, but rather they are a natural result of our faith. And faithfulness, one of the fruit of the Spirit, as we just read, one of the godly characteristics, it's a natural result of our faith. A healthy orange tree is going to produce oranges. But where does our ability to be faithful come from? How can we be a faithful person? It can't come from within, as we're going to see. We are faithless. We don't know how to be faithful. It's not in our DNA. So we need to experience faithfulness from the outside of us. As our assurance of pardon ends with, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is who God is. I am faithless, but Jesus is faithful. It's when we ex you experience his faithfulness towards you, especially when you're unfaithful to him, when your heart begins to be transformed by his faithfulness towards you. We're changed from the inside out solely because of his faithfulness towards us. So that's my hope for us this morning, that's that we would experience his faithfulness towards us in a new way and it would form a, a transformative faith in our lives. If you look at your outline in your worship folder or click the link in the right uh, to the live stream, uh, you can see where we're going as we dissect this passage. I actually made a mistake as I was 
preparing this. So if you want to flip uh, points one and two, we're going to do the definition first, and then we'll go to the need second. So we'll start with the definition of faithfulness. We'll move to the need for faithfulness, and then we'll end with the power for faithfulness. Are you ready? Let's see how God is going to go to work in us and through us through his word. So point number one, definition of faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is defined as loyalty, courage, committed, utterly reliable, and true to one's word. Someone who's dependable, full of integrity, and trustworthy. I would hope that a lot of us would want to be this kind of person, at least most of the time. But at the same time, we know we struggle to be this kind of person. But even more so, as we read that list, and we hear that list, this describes the kind of person we want to be in relationship with. This is who you want your spouse to be. This is who you want your best friends to be. This is who you want your family to be. This is even how you want strangers and acquaintances to treat you. It may help us to also think about what faithfulness isn't. Unfortunately, this is going to be a little easier for us to understand. The opposite of faithfulness would be someone who is opportunistic, a fair-weathered friend or manipulative the relationship is more about what I get out of the other rather than commitment or loyalty to you. A friend who is only willing to be with you during the good times and not the bad times. A friend who lacks the courage to say the things to you that, that need to be said. Things that you need to be challenged for and challenged against. That's the opposite of faithfulness. Again, how many of you want a spouse like that? How many of you want a friend like that? When a husband makes his marriage vow to his wife, he is proclaiming his love for her, and part of that promise is that his life is now going to reflect. It's now going to produce actions that reveal this to be true. If a husband says he loves his wife, yet is unfaithful to her, then does he actually love his wife? After the adultery takes place, the husband comes back and says, I love you. Is that going to erase or minimize or cover up the unfaithfulness? Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? No. No, because that's not faith. That isn't a living, active faith in God. James then goes on and gives us two examples of what faith isn't, what, faith, what faithfulness doesn't look like. The first one is found in verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's very similar to a conversation Jesus has with his disciples uh, right before the cross in Matthew 25. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. And later on in that passage says, these will go away into eternal punishment. As one pastor said of this passage, as we experience the grace and mercy of God, as we rest in that saving faith alone, our heart begins to be transformed and changed, that our love for God starts to translate into a love for people. It isn't a, a love for people that makes us love God, but rather a love for God that translates into a love for people, and might I add, an imperfectly executed love for people on this side of heaven. As we experience God's faithfulness towards us, it transforms us on the inside that we can then love those around us. God is faithful to us even though we aren't faithful to him, which produces a faith in him 
that is alive. And we see it in how we love God, how we serve him, and how we love God, and how we serve others. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Notice how it says brother or sister here in this passage. You know, we, this is one of the reasons we take the mercy offering so seriously, and this is why you heard it last week, I think, when Drew was just explaining where we are under, or we are short in the mercy offering. If we have a church family member or, or just someone that we're connected to who is in need, and we just dismissed them and said, go in peace. God bless you. Go fill your stomach some other way besides here. What does that say about our faith? How is that our faithfulness on display? That's why we take the mercy offering so seriously so we can love and serve our brothers and sisters. If you had a close friend or family member in need and you had a way of helping them, and for whatever reason you decided not to, then your faith is lacking. Now don't get tied down to this specific metaphor or the semantics of what helping actually means. Your faith is made evident by how you live. Your faith is made evident in how you relate to others. There's one more definition of what faith isn't in our passage. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Now, we all have a story. Some of us grew up in a church where works and displays were basically what determined if you had faith or not. Maybe they directly said it, maybe they didn't. And unfortunately, what can happen in our hearts is that we can let the pendulum swing the other way and we, and we get the right theology. We get the right doctrine. We get the correct intellectual understanding of who God is. All, all good things. But that alone, in and of itself, is not enough because even the demons believe. And they shudder. So if you grew up or spent some time in a church or a setting that overemphasized or misplaced the role of works, in, in your faith or in faithfulness, can I just say this? I am sorry. I am sorry where the church has failed you, where man has failed you, and yet again, just where, where the church has just hurt you and wounded you. I pray that where you have experienced the faithlessness of the world, the man in church, that the healing power of the faithfulness of God will enter into your heart, even right now, if that is still a deep wound in your heart and soul. I pray that you would, that what you intellectually know up in our minds would be a transformative no in your heart. I pray that the scales would be removed, the coldness would be warmed, and then you would have a response to the faithfulness of God towards you. And that it would change you. The demons, even with their correct doctrine and knowledge of who God is, respond in fear from their experience with God because they don't know him as father. But we can Intellectual arrival to correct doctrine, correct theology, it's not salvation. This is not faith because whatever has gone in the head, even if it's true, has not entered into our hearts. It hasn't penetrated deep into our souls. The transformation of the heart towards faithfulness has not yet begun, but it can. Hopefully this helps us begin to have a better understanding of what faithfulness is, but also helps us even be more aware of how unfaithful we are, how faithless we are. Which leads us to the next point, the need for faithfulness. Why is faithfulness a lost and dismissed char characteristic Excuse me, for us today? People seem to make promises all the time. They turn right around and they break them. I'm probably going to mess up this phrase, et tu brute. I don't even know if I said that right. 
Brutus, the famous phrase from Shakespeare's Julius Caesar when Julius realizes one of his assassins, one of his betrayers, is none other than one of his closest friends, Brutus. It's the phrase you might hear at various times when you're betrayed or someone is betrayed by someone that they love. Being a victim of unfaithfulness is one of the most painful experiences you can go through in this life. Betrayed or manipulated by a close friend. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you experienced that? Abandonment by a parent. The unfaithfulness of a spouse. When we experience this, it hurts. It creates a a massive hole in our hearts. We long for committed relationships, and when we don't experience it, it feels like a death in a lot of ways. We want others to cling to us, to be faithful to us no matter what. This is what we long for, but unfortunately, this is not the world we live in, even with those we love most and and love us most. Some might even say that faithfulness is old-fashioned. It's a thing from the past, but the Bible tells us that unfaithfulness has always been a part of who we are. Proverbs 26, 20 verse 6 says, Many proclaim their steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find... A faithful man or woman who can find. Psalm 12 says, The godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a selfish heart they speak. We are a selfish people. We are a cowardly people. Unfaithfulness is one of the things we are born knowing how to do best. That is who we are apart from Christ. God gives us the book of Hosea for this very reason, to give us a picture so we can understand our unfaithfulness. Throughout the scriptures, we see God attaching himself to us like that of a marriage. God has made a covenant with his people to be our God, and we are to be his people. God has united himself to us like a marriage. One of the beauties of a marriage is that it's supposed to be an earthly metaphor and expression of God's faithfulness to us. In wedding vows, you hear the husband make a promise to be faithful, loyal, trustworthy, and committed. In the end, at the end of his promise, do we ever hear the husband say, all of this is null and void, or not the same towards me? Does the wife ever add this to her promise to be faithful? Have you noticed in our culture that we now have this aversion to commitment? I may blame Facebook, but uh, they may have started all this, but now all of our phones are listening, so... We're just going to close in prayer right there. Um, but when I was in college, Facebook started this thing where you could now have events, and you could say yes, no, no, or maybe. Maybe was introduced into our world. One of the things that we're talking about with students at youth group right now on Wednesday nights this fall is the topic of relationships. And we recently talked about dating, and so what came from that, that topic, that conversation, was, was talking Do you all know what talking means for young people today? Some of you think that what I'm doing right now is talking. That's not what young people say is talking. A quick definition for us older folks is that talking is, is what you do in order to determine if I want to be in a committed relationship with someone. It's very similar to what many of us probably grew up as thinking what dating was. And so I'm not picking on young people. I love my students. We had a great conversation about this a couple weeks ago. But what I have seen with the relational status of talking is that it almost always leads to unnecessary pain and heartache. A couple, a young couple, will be in the talking stage of a relationship, which let alone has like six or seven like levels that you can be in. That's a different conversation. 
Um, but at some point, one of them will decide they're done. They're out, they ghost the other person, which means they stop communicating with them, and the relationship is over. The young person who was ghosted, they experience confusion, heartache, and they just a loss of understanding. What is going on? The one who ended the relationship will typically say, well, we were just talking. Translation, we were not in a committed relationship. I am free to go and do as I please. Faithlessness is a result of us pursuing our own interests, our own lust, and the casualties of all, are all those we are connected to in various ways. And I'm guessing that we are at a 100% success rate, even if you include everyone in the room and everyone who listens to this at any point in time, we are at 100% success rate of people tuning in and in this room who experience the hurt and pain and confusion of the unfaithfulness of another. And where your heart is, is quick to um, just point the finger at someone else where you have experienced this, where are you caught here? That's the better question for us. Where are you caught here? Where have you been unfaithful? Where are you currently being unfaithful to another or to God? Another way of thinking about this is what if, what, if it is not God, are you putting your faith in? Our brokenness with God is the reason we are broken in our relationships. Do you believe that this is who you are? How serious is your unfaithfulness to God? A rich young man came to Jesus in Mark 10 and proclaims that he has obeyed the commandments. He has obeyed the commandments fully. The rich young man proclaims, I have done the work that proves my faith, Jesus. Good teacher, tell me, put that, just pat my, pat my shoulder. Tell me I've done it. Tell me I'm good to go. And Jesus, as he has a way of doing, he lovingly says to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will, tre- you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for, for he had great possessions. Why? What did we learn about this rich young man's faith? Who were not given his name because we should be inserting ourselves into this story. What do we learn about this person's unfaithfulness? His faith wasn't in God. His faith was in his own goodness to keep the commandments and his money and his possessions. His life and the things he was unwilling to challenge or give up reveal where his faith is. So what are some of the ways you have been or are being unfaithful to God? What are those things that, like the rich young man, you are unwilling to give up and let go of? In what ways do you tell God that you're going to trust yourself over him? Maybe it's how you spend your money and where it goes. Maybe you treasure good theology over loving God and loving your neighbor. Maybe your faith is in getting a great college education in order to become the man or woman that you long to be instead of being a man or woman after God's own heart. Apart from Christ, we only know how to be unfaithful. We only know how to do life in a way that is all about being faithful to our wants and our desires. We only know how to treat our family and friends as inhuman objects as our objects for our own personal gain. Our lack of faith is so bad that, again, God writes the book of Hosea where we are called a wife of whoredom. This is who we are apart from Christ. Do you believe that this is actually who you are apart from him? How serious is your unfaithfulness to God? How serious is that to you? Does your unfaithfulness cause you to break down and weep 
as Peter did at the end of Mark 14 that we read earlier this week in CBR. Peter had just denied Christ for the third time and he heard the rooster crow for that second time. And how did he respond? He fell to his knees and he wept. When he experienced his unfaithfulness to God and was made aware of it, he fell to his knees and he wept for his betrayal. He felt the weight of his unfaithfulness. If this is who we are, if we are a, a people of whoredom, as Hosea says, if we're a people of unfaithfulness, then what are we to do? If, this, if there is nothing that we can do, what can we do? So what are we to do? Where are we to turn in this state? Which leads us to our last point, the power for faithfulness. The power for faithfulness comes from experiencing the faithfulness of another. The power comes when we realize how truly unfaithful we are, when we come to the terms with how untrue, how disloyal and unreliable we are towards God, the creator of the universe, and yet, for whatever reason that we cannot know and that we don't know, he chooses to be faithful towards us. If we are the faithless, Excuse me, if we are faithless, as Jonathan read earlier, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is who God is. This is who your father is if you are in Christ. God refuses to give up on his faithless bride. God is the exact opposite of us. Even though we were married to God, we treated him as though we were just in the talking stage. And we desert him left and right. In the book of Hosea, Hosea is meant to depict who God is towards us as well. In chapter 1, Hosea goes and finds a wife of whoredom, Gomer, and he marries her, as God tells him to. And yet she quickly goes back to her old ways and her old lovers. In chapter 3, we see something amazing happen. If you've never read this story, go home and read it later today. We see something amazing happen. We see God going into the bad part of town where he knows his wife is. We see God finding his bride in bed with another lover. For she has made herself a prostitute yet again. And as you go and read the story, does he turn to the brothel owner and he say, I'm done with her. Keep her. I'm leaving. No, he turns to the brothel owner and he says, how much for me to buy back this woman, my wife? And he says, it's paid for. And he takes her home. This is who God is. This is who our Father is. Though we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. So how can we really know? It's a great story, Brandon. It sounds like it would be a great, great movie if they were to do it. But how can we really know that this is God's heart for you and me? Our passage mentions Abraham as one whose faith was active and revealed by his works. And before the account uh, that our passage is making reference to in Genesis 22, God made a covenant God made a promise, a marriage vow with Abraham and his people. God said, I love you. I choose you. I am for you. I'm going to protect you and you are going to be mine. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. Today we use rings and vows to represent our promise to one another. In Abraham's time, they did something very different. Uh, they would take two people making a promise or a covenant together. They would take about six or seven animals. They would cut them in half and they would make a path. And the two people making the promise would walk down them, signifying that if either one of these people break this promise, may they become like these dead animals. If I break this promise, it will cost me my life. Now, in, excuse me, in Genesis 15, only God passed through the animals. Only God walked through the animals. Abraham's asleep. Now, this is twofold. 
One, this means that God will remain faithful and true. This is who God is. He is faithful and true. But this is what is even more unheard of. God says, if you are unfaithful, if you are unfaithful, Abraham, if you are unfaithful, my children, may I become like these animals. God is saying, I will go to the highest heights and the deepest depths in order to keep you. I would rather die than lose you, even if you are unfaithful. And that is just what he did. And just like Abraham led his one and only son Isaac up the hill on a donkey to the altar, God led his one and only son Jesus up to Jerusalem on a donkey to the cross. But where the accounts differ is God stopped Abraham and provided a sacrificial lamb. On the cross, God did not hold back the knife of his righteous judgment against sin on his one and only son. This is how we know his heart towards us. He remained faithful even to Jesus' own death for a faithless people. That's the power for faithfulness. That's it right there. Knowing that instead of looking towards your judgment, you get to look towards your father. Knowing that instead of shuddering when you see the judge, you get to embrace your father. Knowing that instead of the gavel declaring your guilt, you get the warmth of his welcoming hand every time you return to him. You can't create this faithfulness. You can't find his faithfulness, but his faithfulness can find you and meet you where you're at. For some of you, he may be doing that just, just so for the first time this morning. And so I would ask you, embrace him. Take a hold of his warm hand. Because of his faithfulness towards you, you now have the ability to be faithful to him and faithful to others. In fact, you cannot help yourself but be faithful to him and to others. Again, imperfectly on this side of heaven. But it is the only true response of experiencing his faithfulness. I want to close by looking at these two positive examples that we see at, at, at the end of our passage of just faith being revealed through the actions of Abraham and Rahab. Now, these two people couldn't be farther from different in, in every single way. Abraham, he's a man. He's famous. He's the father of God's people. He's well-respected. Rahab, she's a woman. She's a prostitute. She's a Gentile of Jericho, disreputable. Abraham has chapters and is referenced throughout the Bible. Rahab has only a few small sections, and one of them is right here. What was the work of Abraham's faith? He held nothing back from God. God said, I want your son. And Abraham rose early in the morning in prompt obedience. And Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham obeyed God because of his faith. By faith, Abraham did what he did. <clears throat> Excuse me. Abraham did all of this, and he considered that God was able to even raise him, his own son, from the dead as he put his son on the altar and was ready to sacrifice him, which, figuratively speaking, Abraham was able to receive his son back. I want to pause here for a moment. Far too often we think about Abraham leading his son up the hill to the altar on a donkey. We picture this very quiet, old, stoic man. Maybe this is just me, but we envision Abraham lifting up the knife to sacrifice his son. It's either in cold silence or maybe he's even angry when he's doing it. Wouldn't it seem more likely that there was sadness in Abraham's heart as he was, by faith, trusting God with these actions? Wouldn't it seem more likely that there were tears flowing down his face as he lifted the knife to sacrifice his one and only son who he had waited a century for? 
if I had the faith to make it this far as Abraham, I hope that this is what I would be feeling. And this is what I would be going through. He probably at least got choked up when his son said, Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? My point is this. Faithfulness is not always easy. It is not always easy. In fact, most of the time, faithfulness is hard, it's scary, and it's painful. Living out our faithfulness on this side of heaven is going to stir our hearts and emotions, and it's going to be the hardest thing that we do. What was the work of Rahab? She reached out and took into her own care those who were needy and helpless, regardless of the cost to herself. Hebrews 11 commends Rahab's faith at work in helping God's people. I want to pause here just for a moment. When you ask a little girl, what do they want to be when they grow up, what do they say? I want to be a princess. No little girl ever wants to grow up to become a prostitute. So here's Rahab, used to being manhandled, used to being abused, viewed and treated as less than by everyone, and she is letting in two strange men into her home because of her faith in God. Do you think she was nervous? Do you think she considered the possibility that this might not end well? These men could abuse her. What if Jericho gets wind that Rahab helped the enemy? Again, faithfulness is not always easy. It makes us take uncomfortable, even life-threatening risks. But Rahab's actions revealed what her faith was in. It revealed where her true homeland was, and it wasn't on earth. So what does your faith in God compel you to do? And when you find yourself lacking faith, look to the one who is faithful even when we are not, for he cannot deny himself. You will discover the gospel new and your faith will be renewed. You won't shudder and hide as the demons do. Rather, you will find relief and rest as you fall into his faithful arms. And then his steadfast love, his unwavering faithfulness will send you to do his works. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to become a people of faith that can move mountains? For we all need, all we need is the faith the size of a mustard seed, and it will be done. So, Father, this is what we ask. Father, the life of faith for us is the life that looks to Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that in your obedience to God and in your concern and heart for us, you emptied yourself and humbled yourself on the cross. You stayed perfectly true and faithful to loving God, which can only result in loving others. Father, would you forgive us for we have made faith this private transaction and relationship with you. Father, let us look to you in faith so that our faith can be made alive, so that it can be active. Help us not to hold anything back from you and to live out of our faith in love with others. Father, we just pray. As I think about this topic of, of unfaithfulness and, and faithfulness for us, we just pray as the disciples faith, prayed, would you increase our faith? Increase our faith, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to read uh, Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16 as we close. Uh, Those of faith acknowledge that we are strangers and exiles on the earth. We are seeking a homeland. We long for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he, was prepared, he has prepared for them a city. So what is faith? What is faithfulness? Faithfulness means our past is nothing but the cross on the hill. And our future is nothing but the city on a hill.
that God has prepared for us. And as we go, as we live in faith in, in that in-between time of these two truths, we go with this blessing that he will be with us. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. He will continue to be faithful to us. So please receive the Lord's blessing and promise to us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.